Let's get going on the Tuesday Y'all Show, where we accentuate the South. I'm John Raw. Man, it's great to be back in with you. Portions of the region today, you better take your raincoat wherever you go because you're likely to get a little soggy. I don't think we're going to have too much of severe weather outbreaks across the region today, but we'll share what we know, especially what happened over the last couple of hours in Dallas, Texas, mainly coming into Monday from Sunday. Rough, rough weather around Dallas. We'll share some tornadoes that we know about now. John Rawl here for the Y'all Show. Our number, if you want to get in touch with us, is 803-816-1170. And that's the number you can call or text at your leisure. We'd love to hear from all of you all here on this Tuesday. And we've got a busy show today. We are going to, of course, go through the news of the Southland. Big announcement on Monday from the United States Supreme Court involving an abortion case. In fact, it has to do with Mississippi. We'll tell you what that's all about here momentarily. Other headlines from across the nation that tie into the South that we'll get to. Also, we'll have a sports update, a, a national championship again for a Southern University. We'll share who is the latest Southern University to get an NCAA championship. We mentioned Sam Houston State got one on Sunday when they won the FCS National Championship for football. And now another football championship, if you will, from the South that we'll share in our sports update. Plus, this is the opening day of the NBA's play-in tournament, if you will, or as those folks from across the Mason-Dixon line might say, the play-in tournament. And we'll tell you about at least a couple of Southern teams participating in the NBA's almost playoffs. We'll have that coming up here in our sports look in just a few minutes. And also this hour we'll have hashtag hullabaloo where we go in on social media and find all kind of wacky, crazy, fun stuff to talk about and what's shared to us either through our website, y'all.com, our email address, mail, M-A-I-L, at y'all.com, or what we find on social media. All that's part of hashtag hullabaloo. All of that is coming later this hour. We also have a Southern political report, a challenger announced for Marco Rubio as he's hoping to be reelected as U.S. Senator in Florida in 2022. And a pretty famous person has announced that they're going to be running on the Democratic side against Senator Rubio. We'll share with you information about that. News out of Atlanta, the lieutenant governor of Georgia says he's not going to run, and we'll find out what the reason is for that if, uh, if he was giving reasons out on Monday when that announcement was released and other political happenings. It's part of our Southern Political Report, and it's coming your way in, uh, at later this hour here of the Y'all Show. We have entertainment headlines to start off hour two and an Ariana Grande report. She is getting married, or she is married. I'm not sure if she's tied a knot yet or not, but she is a Boca Raton, Florida native, and she is tying the knot with a real estate guy from California. So we'll have info on that. In our entertainment headlines, also some Dolly Parton info to pass along as part of our entertainment spotlight in hour number two. Also in the second hour today, our barbecue barrister will be back on the show. Matt Hermans does a fantastic job talking about the South and its food. And since we just had the Kentucky Derby earlier this month, we had the Preakness last weekend in Baltimore we are going to have the barrister weigh in on some of the food that you can find at these horse races of the South. 
Plus, if time allows, we'll get him to talk a little baseball food with you. All that coming up with our barrister of Bodacious Barbecue, Matt Hermans. We also have coming up more hashtag hullabaloo in the second hour and an update of what's on the pages of y'all.com. You'll have me alone in hour three today where I will be going over more sports information. And then an article has come out from the National Equity Atlas, and it is about rent debt in America. And a couple of our southern states are the leaders in the land for having rent debt. Debt. If you're debt. Are you in debt? Are you in rent debt? Well, chances are you might be if you live in the south. And we'll talk about this release from the National Equity Atlas. All that coming up. And today's y'all show, it is a show that we are proud to do. This is a show where we are unlike any other program out there on the radio dial or the podcast dial. We give you three hours of information about the South. We hope that this show is entertaining. We hope this show is educational. We, we cover things you're not going to find likely on any other radio or podcast program and so we just appreciate you being along for the fun, and maybe we'll learn some things together and promote this part of the world. That's one of the big things that we're trying to accomplish here with the Y'all Show is to lift up the South. And I know we've got some scars, but for the most part, this is a great place to be. And hold your head high if you're a Southerner. Hold your head high because we represent almost 50% of the entire American population here in these 16 southern states. We are the trendsetters for music and for entertainment in this country, for the food of this country. The South is, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little selfish here, but I think we kind of lead the way when it comes to American food. We lead the way for sure when it comes to places to go vacation. Not many people go on family vacations to Ohio or to Montana, but they come to places like Florida or they come to places along the East Coast and go to the beaches, the mountains of the Tennessee, North Carolina, Smoky Mountains, and they go, of course, all the way anywhere in Texas is a good place to vacation. So we've got, we've got the, the North and the West beat in, in some of those categories as well. Uh, we're doing good. We're doing good, and we're going to keep doing better, and that's what this show is all about, to promote the South, and we hope that you will be along for the ride and help us promote it. Again, 803-816-1170. All right, well, the South's leading the way with a forthcoming Supreme Court case as the Supreme Court announced Monday that they will take up a major abortion rights challenge with three justices appointed by Donald Trump during his four years in his you could say first term in office, maybe. Uh, yes, the Supreme Court is going to take on a case about whether states can ban abortions before a fetus can survive outside the womb. Mississippi, which is asking to be allowed to enforce an abortion ban after 15 weeks of preg- pregnancy, is not asking the court to overrule the Roe versus Wade decision of 1973 confirming a woman's right to an abortion or a decision that was later held 19 years later that reaffirmed it but abortion rights supporters said this case is a clear threat to abortion rights as a spokesperson for the center for reproductive rights nancy northup said the court cannot uphold this law without overturning the principal protections of roe versus wade the case probably will be argued this fall with a decision likely in the spring of 2022 
during the campaign for congressional midterm elections. You knew that this would come out right before midterms, right? Mississippi's ban had been blocked by lower courts as inconsistent with Supreme Court precedent that protects a woman's right to obtain an abortion before the fetus can survive outside her womb. And I'm looking for a quote here from anybody related to the Mississippi case. I'm not seeing anything. The justices had put off action on this case for several months. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, of course, passed away in 2020, a big abortion rights proponent, died just before the court's new term began in October. Her replacement, Justice Amy Barrett, is the most open opponent of abortion rights to join the court in decades. So we'll find out what happens again. This Mississippi law, which was enacted in 2018 but was blocked after a federal court challenge, the state's only abortion clinic in in the Magnolia State remains open About 10% of Mississippi's abortions are done after the 15th week, said the director of the Jackson Women's Health Organization in Mississippi, Shannon Brewer, made that statement out there. But, yes, the Supreme Court now looking to take up a major abortion rights challenge and argument set for this fall with a decision likely coming sometime in 2022. Update on weather, as we told you. It was a little rough in Dallas on Sunday into Monday in the North Texas area. Five tornadoes touched down in North Texas on the Sunday afternoon time period. Two in Dallas County, three in Ellis County over Sunday, according to estimates from the National Weather Service. NWS officials, after conducting damage surveys Monday afternoon, confirmed that two separate tornadoes touched down north of downtown University Park in North Dallas and that three others touched down in Western Ellis County, Texas. I don't have any reports of injuries. There have been some damages. A lot of homes were hit and other businesses in the Dallas area. A touchdown of a tornado off of North Haven Road and U.S. Highway 75. Damage pretty extensive, according to a meteorologist with the National Weather Service out of Fort Worth. But again, if you were watching TV Sunday, there was that football game coming from Frisco, Texas, Sunday, and they had to stop play for about an hour, lightning and more. That was going on. The golf tournament Sunday afternoon, the PGA tournament also in Dallas, they pushed up the final round to start earlier in the day, but they still had a pause in play, and it was it's actually got it in just in the nick of time where the winner of that moves on to play in the PGA Championship this week. But, yeah, you could see, you could see on national TV Sunday afternoon the – outbreak of tornadoes in the Dallas area and as a guy who has survived a Dallas area tornado before or or more Fort Worth to be honest with you I was in the area when the one went through downtown Fort Worth in the year 2000 kind of scary out there one thing that's scary about that area of Texas is they don't have the big large pine trees that you see in a large part of the south the little tiny I guess they're oak trees and so you know that you're not going to Uh, necessarily have a lot of I guess those things would be protection but I guess on the other side of the spectrum they could be weapons if they break off and start flying at you scary times luckily we don't have any kind of injuries or anything like that to report from Dallas from this outbreak of weather over the weekend an outbreak of fear for Congressman Matt Gates as his longtime associate from South Florida has now pled guilty to sex trafficking charges and all eyes seem to be turning more toward Congressman Gates who represents the panhandle of Florida 
whether he was involved in this. Joel Greenberg, a longtime associate of Gates, appeared in federal court in Orlando, and on Monday he pleaded guilty to six of the nearly three dozen charges that he faced, and some of those charges include sex trafficking of a minor, and he also admitted that he had paid at least one underage girl to have sex with him and other men. Now, Congressman Gates was not mentioned in this plea agreement or during the court hearing, but Greenberg's cooperation as a key figure in the investigation and a close ally of Matt Gates it may escalate the potential legal and political liability that the firebrand Republican congressman is facing. And nobody or no person on the other side of the aisle would love to bring him down. I think they all would like to bring Matt Gates down. He is a, a loudmouth, if you will. And here we go. Although right now, in his defense, there has nothing been proven that he was guilty. He's swore that he's innocent. But when you're a, definitely a conservative loudmouth, boy, your target is very clear on you. And the media and the other side of the aisle are going to come at you with everything they've got, and they'll do everything they can to bring you down. On the flip side of that, in my opinion, if you're a, a liberal, uh, you've got some more protection. I, I, I mean, we just see that, that, that they get away with almost everything. And uh, I can't I can't imagine unless it's something absolutely criminal that any anybody from that other side of the aisle has to worry too much about their job. But Matt Gates, man, he's worried and he should be because here's one of his buddies now pleading guilty, guilty to all of these or, or some of the charges that the, the government has brought forward. How about this story coming from North Alabama? A Birmingham man has survived a jump from the I-65 bridge into the Tennessee River, and he survived with the help from an off-duty deputy. The 35-year-old man taken to Huntsville Hospital and is expected to recover, that according to Morgan County Sheriff's Office spokesman Mike Swafford. But this man in stable condition after he jumped from the I-65 bridge, that is in Morgan County around Decatur, not far from Huntsville, and then ended up being pulled from the water by a off-duty deputy of morgan county alabama now the question is why in the world would this guy jump from the bridge was it suicide or a suicide attempt 911 calls came in from passersby on the interstate about a vehicle stopped there around 12 42 in the afternoon sunday the individual had called his sister and told her what he was planning to do and the u.s fish and wildlife office which was nearby heard a dispatch headed to the bridge and then found the man on the passenger side of the vehicle tossing items from it. The officer tried to talk the man to prevent him from jumping, but the man moved away and jumped anyway, and he jumped. And that's a big bridge. If you've been across that I-65 bridge just to the south of Huntsville, it's pretty tall. The Tennessee River is a very large river in North Alabama, so they got to have a very large bridge. And this guy, what looks like was an intentional jump, ends up, jumping and being pulled to safety if you will and hopefully he's going to be okay and get his priorities in order and get things squared away for this Birmingham man that luckily by sure God alone I guess you could say got help and and is maybe going to get out of this thing okay and we hope he turns his life around and things work out well for him Okay, you've heard about Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. We don't often talk about Michigan's governor here on the show about the South, but now 
The governor is facing questions about a trip she took to the Sunshine State, which she initially lied about taking. And now this scrutiny coming after her March trip, which she lied about taking, came after she had cautioned Michigan residents about traveling out of state due to the coronavirus. And now she's got to pay the piper, if you will, about what happened to her. The Detroit Free Press raising questions to Whitmer on Monday when the outlet published a report revealing Air Eagle LLP, the air travel company that Whitmer chartered to visit her father in Florida, was not authorized by the FAA to give charter flights. And now a Free Press investigation says that that Whitmer took the flight that she took is not on a 135 certificate and an Air Eagle does not have a Part 135 certificate for all you air nerds out there you might know what i'm talking about but yeah she ended up flying to see her father and should not should not have left the state or certainly traveled to a state like florida which it was getting a lot of criticism for somewhat being open when all this was going on and she's coming under criticism but once again like i said she's from the other side of the aisle and she'll be she'll probably survive this without any problem at all uh, and uh, that's the way it goes. But, yes, Gretchen Whitmer coming under scrutiny because of a flight to see her bad daddy. Now, we might be a little sympathetic. I don't, I don't know if her father was ill, and that's why she went to Florida to see him. But, uh, yeah, she's, she's uh, in, in some trouble, some, some small trouble there in Michigan. Now, a Virginia revenue surplus story for you. Hard to believe this one. This is a a Commonwealth that is doing well financially. The state of Virginia expecting a half-billion-dollar budget surplus by the end of June of this year, and that is amazing to hear since you've got all of our states across the country very hard hit by COVID-19, and officials are awaiting a $4.3 billion federal deposit in the state's coffers any day. That is in addition to... To again, what they expect, a half-billion-dollar budget surplus. The Richmond Times-Dispatch reports that the Secretary of Finance of Virginia, Aubrey Lane, told legislators Monday that he expects state revenues to exceed expenses by more than $500 million in the fiscal year that ends June 30th. So does that mean for Virginians you get a chance to get a little piece of the pie and a little bonus coming your way, kind of like what the people up in Washington have been given out here lately with a stimulus check. Maybe if you're a good Virginian and you've saved your money, you can get a little extra money headed your way thanks to some good cost-saving measures, it looks like. Hey, if you're Tom Brady, you might want to start shopping around for a new place to crash because Derek Jeter has sold his Tampa mansion that Tom Brady and his family have been renting. It's a seven-bedroom, eight-bath estate, and it's sold on Friday Now, Tom Brady, surely, if you're going to be suiting up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers once again this year after winning the Super Bowl for them in 2020, you surely have some place to stay. Heck, if I were in Tampa, I would let you stay at my place for a dollar a month because I think it'd be kind of cool to say Tom Brady lived at my place. But, yes, the former Yankee superstar Derek Jeter, who's now part of the Miami Marlins franchise as, I think, one of their owners or executives or something like that, he sold his waterfront mansion for $22.5 million, meaning, yes, that Tom Brady needs to go find a new place to live. It was sold, according to Smith & Associates, the real estate firm that handled the transaction. 
The firm did not disclose who bought it, but the sale had not yet been recorded in Hillsborough County, but it had been listed at $29 million. So somebody got a $7 million savings, perhaps, by buying this mansion from the Baseball Hall of Famer Derek Jeter. And you would think having Tom Brady be involved with it, the value for that home would also be pretty high up there for the purchaser to want to have that in their possession. More news out of Florida. A man from the Sunshine State burglarizing homes end up being rushed to rushed out with a truck, a sword, and a laptop. He burglarized his home, took all these items, but he did one dumb thing. He left his cell phone behind. And Damian Grady now faces multiple charges, including armed burglary, carjacking, resisting arrest, all of this at a home in St. Petersburg. The 24-year-old man with a lengthy criminal history arrested, again, after he allegedly stole a sword, something everybody is looking for these days, right? A laptop and other items. But in the process of stealing this stuff from a home, he left his own cell phone behind and made it pretty easy to catch. Arrested on Tuesday, charged with armed burglary, carjacking, resisting arrest, and possession of controlled substances. Hey, could you imagine this guy? He had in his possession methamphetamine and crack cocaine with the intent to sell, by the way. Yeah, Note to burglars of the South, if you're going to go out and try to rob and pillage and do things like that, you might want to take your cell phone with you when you exit the property or else you'll be having the local sheriff's department come knock on your door and take you away for a nice little extended stay, paid for, unfortunately, by the government. But now he's in the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, Damian Grady, with all these charges after he got caught. He got caught red-handed and he's going to have to pay the piper we'll have more news coming in hour number two right now we'll take a little time out on the y'all show let you think about all the fun stuff that goes on in this part of the world when we come back we'll give you an update on what's going on in the world of sports including as we said a team from the south capturing a national championship on monday we'll play their fight song when we come back from the break this is y'all talk with an accent on everything southern if you want to get involved with us 803-816-1170 we'll be right back Congratulations to the Marshall Thundering Herd as they win their first College Cup title. That is what you get when you win the NCAA's National Championship in soccer and the men's soccer program for Marshall out of Huntington, West Virginia, winning in the 98th minute 
in overtime over Indiana, and they won this in Cary, North Carolina, Monday night. Marshall's fans, the Thundering Herd fans in attendance there in Cary, rushing the field following the game winner from Jamil Roberts, and the Herd becomes the first unseeded team to win a national title since Santa Clara won a natty back in 2006. Marshall University, we are Marshall with a great win. And now Jamil Roberts out talking about it, saying, not bad for a little school from West Virginia with a bunch of internationals, eh? Yeah, what a great win for Marshall. And I think they play in in normal sports. They're in the Conference USA ranks, and I could be wrong. I think Conference USA has a soccer league, and a lot of teams are in that that aren't necessarily normally Conference USA members. Let me pull that up real quick as we are talking about the South and more. This is the Y'all Show. I'm John Rawl. This is our Southern Sports Spotlight here, and and on this spotlight we bring in college sports in a big way, but we also like to talk about some pro news and more. And so we want to be here for you to learn more about what's going on across the southeast to educate and inform. Our website is y'all.com. It is the homepage of the South, and we ask you to go there. And, in fact, we're going to have a preview of what's up there right now in the second hour of today's Y'all Show. We'll walk through some of the fun features and videos we have posted at y'all.com, the homepage of the South. So if you get a chance, please check it out. But, yes, as far as sports, men's soccer is a featured sport of Conference USA, and I'm going to tell you who all the men's soccer teams are in CUSA because I think the Kentucky Wildcats might be one of the teams that are in CUSA, a SEC team, obviously, but since there aren't any men's soccer I guess men's soccer is not recognized as an official program within the SEC. Therefore, they're not part of that. Soccer for CUSA members. I'm looking for the standings. Help me out here. ConferenceUSA.com. Oh, it looks like South Carolina is part of the men's soccer as well. Let's see. Men's soccer for CUSA includes your national champion, Marshall Thundering Herd, which their record 13-2-3. National champions, Marshall. The Charlotte 49ers, also in CUSA, as well as FIU. The Kentucky Wildcats, a CUSA soccer member. They went 3-3-1. I'd say that's about 500, don't you say? Yeah, Kentucky was 500 in soccer this year. FAU, they're in there. South Carolina, the Gamecocks. I think the coach was and maybe still is Mark Burson there in Columbia. His Gamecocks finished 2-4-1 this weird coronavirus year. UAB is also a CUSA men's soccer team as well as the Monarchs of Old Dominion. But the winner of the national championship for soccer, the Marshall Thundering Herd, way to go. Marshall had eliminated top-seeded Clemson on penalties and then down Georgetown in the quarterfinals. And now the Herd, your soccer champs of NCAA, at least on the men's side. I don't have an update on women. I'm sure they're also having their postseason right now as everything from the fall got pushed to the spring. But uh, news out of Conference USA right here on 
y'all. Hey, some college football news. Indiana, not the soccer team, but their football team, the, the, the actual American football team that plays there in Bloomington. The Hoosiers have added former Auburn Tiger defensive lineman Jaron Handy, as well as a running back from Southern Cal, Stephen Carr, and they're going to get them into Bloomington as transfers. Now, Handy has joined the program after playing 14 games with the Auburn Tigers over the past two seasons. All this was announced by Tom Allen on Monday, the Hoosier coach who also has spent time in Jackson, Tennessee at Lipscomb, or not Lipscomb, at Lambeth University back when they had a football program. And, of course, did a great job in 2020 leading the Hoosiers to a great season. Even went to the Outback Bowl, but they lost to an SEC team and Indiana, their magical season has a little bit of a dent because of the fact they couldn't win that bowl game, and they couldn't win the year before when they played uh, the the Tennessee Vols in the Gator Bowl and Jacksonville. Those darn bowl games are getting in the way of Tom Allen's rebuild there in Bloomington. But the Hoosiers getting some help from the Auburn Tigers. Again, defensive lineman Jaron Handy headed across that Ohio River, and he'll be an Indiana Hoosier in the future. Bob Baffert suspended from entering, I call it Madonna spirit. Some people call it Medina spirit. I don't know what the horse wants us to call it, but yes, either way, Bob Baffert, the silver-haired one, is now suspended from entering Medina spirit and other horses at Belmont Park. Suspended Monday after an investigation into the Kentucky Derby winner Medina spirit's failed post-race drug test. Baffert will not be allowed to stable any horses at Belmont Park or at Saratoga Racecourse or Aqueduct Racetrack or run any of his horses at the New York Racing Association's track. That ban includes races at Belmont Park where the Belmont Stakes, the last leg of the Triple Crown, will be held on June 5th. So Bob Baffert, who the most famous trainer, if you will, in all of horse racing, now he's getting that that silver hair is going to start falling out of Bob Baffert's head because of all the investigations and I think he continues to maintain his innocence we'll find out and watching the Preakness on Saturday when that was being held at Baltimore it was really educational for those of us who don't necessarily follow the sport of horse racing too much how they don't really have a super organized structure of horse racing essentially there's all these fiefdoms caused by tracks and state regulations and nobody wants to yield so therefore you don't have like an association of horse racing to kind of kind of be the superpower that dictates all these rules and regulations and makes it sort of equal for everybody and that's why there's all this confusion and frankly it's damaging horse racing that's what the pundits on nbc were saying on saturday at the preakness there in baltimore so yeah bob baffert not allowed to have his horses saddle up and ride. So it looks like as of now, Medina Spirit is not going to be part of the the Belmont when that happens in June. And that horse was expected to win the Preakness this past weekend, but it ended up finishing pretty high up there, but it didn't win. The horse with the German name, which I should actually have told you about this on Monday when we came back from the weekend, told you who won that race because that horse there did not race in the kentucky derby the the horse with the german name that starts with an r that i can't find the name right now but yeah y'all might have seen it but yeah y'all we'll move on hey speaking of horses these thoroughbreds will be racing up and down the court 
on this evening, it's the NBA play-in games. The Charlotte Hornets will be in Indianapolis at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And there the Pacers await the Hornets for this Eastern Conference play-in game. It's the Hornets and Pacers. Hornets are number 10. Pacers number 9 seed in the Eastern Conference. If they win, great. They get to play another game. If you lose this game, your season is done. Also from the Eastern Conference on this Tuesday evening, suiting up and tipping off at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, you got the Wizards and the Celtics. This is your 7-8 seed. And if you win this game, great. You move on and you're actually in the real NBA playoffs. If you lose, then you'll play the winner of the Hornets-Pacers game. So one of these two teams, Pacers and Hornets, are going to be done with after this Tuesday night ends. By the way, that game tipping off in Indy from the Circle City at 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central. These two Eastern Conference play-in games, both televised by TNT, if you want to check out the action. Also, you've got some playoff hockey going on, and Monday night you saw the Bruins top the Capitals, In the South, the Hurricanes got the 5-2 win over the Nashville Predators and the Colorado Avalanche, who I think ended up being the top team in all of hockey this year somehow. They ended up beating the St. Louis Blues in their playoff series 4-1. On the ice on this Tuesday, if you want to check out some ice hockey, eh? maybe some Canadian hockey, eh? if you want to see hockey played here on this Tuesday, you got the Flames and Canucks north of the border. That's going on. Capitals, Bruins, Predators, Hurricanes, Game 2 taking place in Raleigh. Also, Jets, Oilers, Blues, Avalanche. And that's your NHL update. Now, an update on NFL news. How about this? Dan Campbell is the new coach of the Detroit Lions. And we know that at LSU, Mike the Tigers on the campus there patrolling, and fans love having a real Tiger on the campus to where they might could even hear him make his calls out for maybe a, a loved one at the university of north alabama in florence they've got a whole pride of if you will of lions there on that campus and speaking of lions they might want to come to florence alabama and learn how to have lions on the property of the detroit lions because dan campbell coach of the detroit lions has said that he is interested and he might have been joking, but he's interested in getting an actual lion to be at the team's practice facility, having a pet lion there. And he's even presented this to the owner, Sheila Ford Hamp, of Detroit Lions fame. And uh, of Detroit Lions not been to the Super Bowl in the history of the franchise of fame. Yeah, that Detroit Lions. And what's having a, a real lion on the property going to hurt? Because this team needs some kind of imagination. So we'll we'll have to keep our eye on Detroit, the motor city of whether they get a real Lion. Right now, I'm sure most Lions fans will be just happy with football players who play like Lions out on the gridiron and get this team away from the unfortunate distinction of, again, never playing in a Super Bowl. And I don't think they've won a championship of any kind since the early 1960s. Heck, it might even be the late 50s since the Honolulu Blue Lions got a, a championship of some type there to the fans in Detroit. When we come back on, y'all, we'll have hashtag Hullabaloo Part 1 here on this Tuesday Y'all Show. Hang on, it's the show that covers everything Southern.
Continuing on with the show covering everything Southern. When we cover everything, we mean everything, including great food. In fact, hour two, our barbecue barrister will be returning, Matt Hermans, and he's going to have horse race food on his mind. What in the world are, you, are we talking about? Stay tuned. It'll be really fun to hear from the barbecue barrister and mix in a little Kentucky Derby and Preakness food with barbecue. All that headed your way in the very near future. We start this segment of the Y'all Show with food on our mind. This is our hashtag hullabaloo report here. Part one, we're going to have more than one hashtag hullabaloo report on this Tuesday Y'all Show. And this is where social media comes to us with all kinds of great ideas, suggestions, feedback. We also welcome feedback through our text line at 803-816-1170. Or you can email us, mail at y'all.com. And if you've got something that you want to share with us, we welcome that here as part of hashtag Hullabaloo. And up first is something from something called Appy Meal, A-P-P-Y-M-E-A-L, at Appy Meal 1. Appy Meal is a takeout app local to Atlanta. How about that? Appy Meal. Not happy with an H. McDonald's would probably have something to say about that. This is just A-P-P-Y-M-E-A-L, Appy Meal. And they've got a tweet out that caught my eye, and it has a picture of a delicious rack of ribs. And this is your full rack here, by the way. And it says, hungry for ribs. And it says in the description, who loves ribs? We do. Well, heck yeah, we love ribs. And their picture of these ribs is out, and it says, soon with Appy Meal, you can order from your favorite local barbecue place to go with just a few clicks of a button. Appymeal.net is the website. How about that? Multiple barbecue places in and around Atlanta, you can now use your Appy Meal app and get a rack of ribs or maybe a pound of pulled pork headed your way. And it looks a, a great opportunity for you to catch up with barbecue and not worry about running out of gas. Frankly, as we know from Atlanta, I think over half of the gas stations in the last week because of the Colonial Pipeline affair have not even had petrol to fuel up with. So let Appy Meal do the driving for you and have that delicious barbecue delivered to your doorstep. Yes, ribs in Georgia. And I've had my fair share of ribs in Georgia, and I think they're pretty good. I know Memphis would probably disagree, and Kansas City would disagree, and those brisket lovers in Texas would certainly disagree. But yeah, Georgia got some good ribs. Give them a chance if you don't mind. And if you're wanting to get them from an Atlanta-area restaurant, all you got to do is go to appymeal.com net for more information and that is a quick look at some food talk here courtesy of hashtag hullabaloo we will have more hashtag hullabaloo coming your way hour two of this y'all show hang on when we come back here on the y'all show it's our southern political report we'll give you an update on the u.s senate race in florida all that ahead on y'all
All right, note to self. Um, hold on loosely. Don't let go. Okay, got that. This is y'all talk with a southern accent. Tuesday edition. We're working our way through the day with you, and we're glad that you could take time to be with us here on y'all. And this is our southern political spotlight, giving you a few minutes of what's going on politically around the Southland. We take time each week here to do that here on the Y'all Show. We feel like you ought to know a little bit of what's going on in politics, both in Washington, D.C. and in the various states of the South. And we'll start off in the Sunshine State as on Monday, Democratic Representative Val Demings announced a challenge to Marco Rubio in 2022. Of course, Val Demings is a former police officer who was on the impeachment trial. She was one of the what do they call that? Uh, plaintiffs, if you will, against President Trump and the first Trump, a house manager. That's the term. She was a, a house manager that was there in the Senate representing the accusation that President Trump should be impeached. This was the original impeachment. Kind of got confusing in the Trump presidency, part one of uh, impeachments and stuff. But this was the one in 2020 prior to the pandemic. And she was one of the people. She was also considered to be a vice presidential candidate for Joe Biden. But she has announced that she's going to run for Senate in 2022 against Marco Rubio, who I don't know for a fact that he's announced that he's going to run. Remember, one reason I bring this up, it's, it's easy to forget things like this. But remember, Marco Rubio announced he was not going to be a senator in twenty. Was it 2020? No, 2018. I get confused here. He was not going to run. And and I forgot what he was going to do. Maybe possibly run for governor or something like that. Maybe he's just going to get out of politics. And then because of, was it Rick Scott getting elected? It's a little confusing. I'm having to go back in two or three years here. But somehow or another, it turned out that... I guess there was a need for him to run again after he had already announced that he was not going to be a senator anymore in Florida. Maybe, I guess it had to do with him running for president. Maybe because he was running for president in 2016, he wasn't going to run for re-election in Florida in maybe 2018 or 2017. And so after he lost his chance to be president for the Republican nomination against Donald Trump, then he got back into the Senate race, and now you see him, it looks like, going to re have a, another re-election bid for Marco Rubio. And Val Demings, a formidable candidate, is going to be running against Marco Rubio in 2022. Formidable. Why? Because, again, she had been a, a law enforcement officer, I think, in the Orlando area. And she's got some national fame. And you know between now and... And this 2022 election, she's going to get a lot of political attention. She's going to get a lot of airplay on outlets throughout the Sunshine State. And I I wish her well. But Marco Rubio has done a pretty good job, don't you think? I mean, here's a guy who was a failed presidential candidate but came back. And to my knowledge, Floridians have – he hasn't done anything too wacky. I mean, that's why I'm giving him some praise here. He hasn't done anything too wacky in the U.S. Senate. He has, when needed, been a a 
person defending President Trump, but he's been somewhat critical at times, not not overly critical. I mean, he's no Liz Cheney or anything like that. But yeah, it, it Val Demings is going to have a pretty hard task to, to knock him off, but it can be done. 2022, we'll worry about this one in 2022, but Demings announcing she wants to be the U.S. Senator from the Sunshine State. More political news. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have released their 2020 tax returns. Monday was tax day. Congratulations. Hope you all got your things filed. But Biden's quick release of his tax returns is definitely a contrast to former President Trump, who said that his stuff was always under audit and wouldn't release it. Biden and First Lady Jill reported $607,000 in adjusted gross income and paid more than $157,000 in federal taxes, an effective federal tax rate of 25.9%. Kamala Harris, technically Kamala Harris Imhoff, because she's married to Doug Imhoff, reported nearly $1.7 million in adjusted gross income. How in the world did she make more than... How did she make more than Joe Biden? Uh, Yeah, she reported nearly $1.7 million in adjusted gross income with $621,000 in federal tax paid, an effective federal tax rate of 36.7%. Now, Biden's income dropped significantly from 2019 when he reported $985,000 in adjusted gross income. It looks like one of them should have come out and used the excuse of being under audit while they couldn't release it. But hey, that's that's what they report, and you know you gotta you gotta tell the truth, or you could face some serious problems with the IRS if you're trying to hide your numbers. And there we have it: the president and vice president announcing how much they made in 2020. Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama has signed into law a medical marijuana bill. She did that in Montgomery on Monday, and this is for more than a dozen conditions and symptoms such as chronic pain, depression, seizures, muscle spasticity, and terminal illness. The bill, Senate Bill 46, sets up a system to regulate medical marijuana from the cultivation of the plants to processing and testing the products, then also to selling them in dispensaries. Alabama becomes the nation's 37th state to legalize medical marijuana, that according to the National Conference of State Legislatures. Governor Kay Ivey, Alabama, signing into law the medical marijuana bill for the heart of Dixie. More political news, this from the state of Georgia. The lieutenant governor there of Georgia is a Republican, and Governor Lieutenant Governor Duncan, who's been a critic of Donald Trump, says he will not run for re-election. So what was the reason, I wonder, why this Peach State politician is backing out of running for re-election in the next time that he could be on the ballot in the state of Georgia? He's not going to run in 2022. Brian Kemp is the current governor of Georgia, and as far as I know, he is running. Hasn't announced officially that he's running or not running, as far as I know. But, yeah, the lieutenant governor of Georgia, Duncan, saying that he will not run for re-election in 2022, saying that the national events of the last six months have deeply affected his family in ways that he could never imagine, and he's asked for their support to run for lieutenant governor. He needed those people to run for lieutenant governor four years ago, but now says he will not run. Jeff Duncan, on his decision not to 
be a governor, lieutenant governor of Georgia in 2022. And that is some political news here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent as we wrap up this first hour of talking about the Southeast here on Y'all. When we come back in hour two, don't forget we're going to have the great Matt Herman's on with us, and he covers everything from a food perspective, and it's going to be so good to have him back on here to tell us about what's going on with these horse races and such as we've had some good food available at these little horse races across the southeast. All that's coming up hour two. Don't miss out on the fun of y'all. Back in for the second hour of y'all talking about everything Southern. Hello, I am your moderator, your friend, and your CSA certified Southern American General John Rawl in on this Tuesday edition. Just a fantastic day across the Southland. We're glad that you have joined us here on y'all. And don't forget, our website is yall.com, y'all.com. It's Southern. And it's unapologetically Southern, and we appreciate everybody who stops by there. And if you haven't stopped by there lately, check it out. In fact, we've got a preview of what's up at y'all right now, this hour coming up. So stay tuned for that busy hour here. Our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans, will be on later, and we'll get a report from him about what's going on in terms of horse races and barbecue and just so much more. All that is headed your way on the Y'all Show here in this second hour. We also have a really, really, really fantastic array of just stories and news and just kinds of the kind of stuff that you've always wanted to know about the South. And that is all headed your way here in hour number two. 803-816-1170 is the way you can get in touch with us here at the Y'all Show. That is a number available to you 24 hours a day, 803-816-1170. Just give us a ring, and if you've got something you want to pass along, perhaps some good recipes, or perhaps it's something that you're just needing to let somebody know, we welcome that feedback. And you can even text us the same information, 803-816-1170, whether it's a Uh, official text or telephone call it really doesn't matter we just want to hear from you here at the y'all show well we have now to start this second hour a little entertainment information coming to you from the y'all show we like to look around outside of the south for some of the information in fact our first entertainment headline of the day here in the second hour comes to us from a native floridian a boca raton native And it's Ariana Grande. And I'm going to play the song that kind of helped put her on the map. This goes back several years. Problem is the name of the song, in case you haven't heard some Ariana music here lately. (laughs) Keep it clean now. Yeah, girl.
All right, Ariana Grande. She's in the news because she's getting. She is. She. She's a. She's a, a married woman now. She and Dalton Gomez officially married. The Boca Raton native tying the knot to this realtor from Southern California. Ariana Grande, born June 26, 1993 in Boca Raton. The 27-year-old singer-actress who's won Grammy Awards, won Billboard Music Awards, and more. Now a married woman. She began her career at 15 in the 2008 Broadway musical 13, and then she was in the Nickelodeon TV series Victorious. So she's been all over the place. I have felt some sympathy for her because, of course, she was the one on stage in Birmingham, England, when a shooter went and started shooting up the place many years ago and just a sad, horrible tragedy from roughly five years ago. But, yeah, she was born in Boca Raton, the daughter of Joan Grandy, a Brooklyn-born CEO of Hose McCann Communications. And her dad was Edward Butera, a graphic design firm owner in Boca Raton. Ariana is of Italian descent, and she has an older half-brother who's also in the entertainment business. She is a world superstar. She sure is. As a young child, Ariana performed with the Fort Lauderdale Children's Theater, and that was before she started opening up all around the world. A just amazing career she's had in just a, really a short amount of time with great songs, big fans, a lot of young fans. I would say she might have kind of come in and taken over for the Britney Spears crowd once they got a little too old. She seems to have a very good correlation with the way the careers have lined up. But yeah, Ariana Grande getting married. Congratulations to her as she is now married to this guy who is a realtor. I mean, a little surprise, Dalton Gomez out of California. They have been together for a little time. They announced in December they were engaged. Now the nuptials come two years after her engagement to Pete Davidson fell apart. Ariana Grande, a married woman, tying the knot, I think, in California. I don't. They didn't put me on the invite list, so I can't tell you all the juicy info on Ariana, but she is off the market for now, guys, and maybe forever to her credit. Let's hope that uh, she stays married to Mr. Dalton Gomez a very long time as they met, they wed at their home. I have that info now coming across the wire. Wed in a private ceremony, so she didn't make a big deal out of it. And her last album was Positions, and that was in 2020. And now she's looking like most other artists and acts to get back out on the road here in 2021. And hopefully she'll have a big, big career post getting married and and have a very long and successful career. But Ariana Grande in the news for being married. Way to go. Dolly Parton is going to make her first return to Dollywood post-coronavirus, post-vaccination. Remember, Dolly gave some money to Vanderbilt to help come up with a vaccine. And now, in the post-vaccination world that it looks like we're getting to, she is going back to her native Sevierville and to her native county of Sevier County in East Tennessee. And she's excited to get back to Dollywood. So how about that? After noting in early March that she would return to the park after her full vaccination, she got her April 2nd dose of Moderna the vaccine on May on April 2nd. She joined Good Morning America last week. You might have seen this, May 12th. 
she joined Robin Roberts at at uh, Dollywood, and all of this was in conjunction with the theme parks. April 23rd to June 7th, Flower and Food Festival. And during her visit, Dolly and Robin Roberts, she was there performing her 71 hit, Coat of Many Colors. So she's back at Dollywood. You might have seen her last week. Dolly Parton, back after her vaccination. And uh, a lot of us have had the vaccine. A lot of us are not totally fully vaccinated quite yet. We're waiting. We're waiting our time. But Dolly, after she got that, vaccine and the second moderna shot she's now fully vaccinated and we get to see her beautiful body and her beautiful self out in her native land of east tennessee and that is a beautiful thing to report on here on today's y'all show the mtv movie and tv awards held this week scarlett johansson was there and she was honored with the generation award for her many roles including the role she's going to have in the forthcoming black widow movie but we have the list of winners from sunday's mtv movie and tv awards leslie jones hosted snoop dogg served as the evening's dj i missed that one that i don't know how clean they kept it but the best movie winner at the mtv awards to all the boys always and forever the best show award went to wandavision best performance in a movie went to chadwick boseman in ma rainey's black bottom Best performance in a show went to Elizabeth Olsen in WandaVision. WandaVision getting a lot of praise here at the MTV Movie and TV Awards. The Best Hero Award went to Anthony Mackie, The Falcon and the White Soldier. Won that over Wonder Woman 1984, Gal Gadot, and Jack Quaid, The Boys. Best Hero, yeah, Anthony Mackie. Best Fight, Wanda versus Agatha in WandaVision. The Best Kiss, Chase Stokes and Madeline Klein in Outer Banks. Mmm, getting a little steamy there at the MTV Awards. The best comedic performance goes to Leslie Jones, who hosted this event with Coming to America, winning that over people like Annie Murphy for Schitt's Creek and Eric Andre in Bad Trip. Best villain, Catherine Hahn for WandaVision, and she beat out people like Aya Cash in The Boys and Ewan McGregor in Birds of Prey for that one. Breakthrough performance winner from the MTV Awards goes to Rijay Jean Page for Bridgerton. Most frightened performance winner was Victoria Pedretti for The Haunting of Bly Manor. Best duo winner goes to Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan for The Falcon and the White and the Winter Soldier. And those are your winners from Sunday's MTV Movie and Music or MTV Movie and TV Awards held from Sunday. An update on a movie, the Underground Railroad conducts an unsettling ride through an alternate alternate history. That is the opinion of Brian Lowry of CNN. As the Underground Railroad, it is a series, an adaptation of Barry Jenkins, the movie, the book-turned movie. This is a 10-hour format that's available on TV if you get a chance to see this alternate history of the antebellum South that takes Colson Whitehead's Pulitzer Prize-winning book through Moonlight director Barry Jenkinson's lens. A nice combination there. But check it out. Underground Railroad uses the changing locales to look at manifestation of racism through American history and more. And you can check it out if you'd like to. Underground Railroad. The filming took place in Georgia, which has been in the headlines for its controversial voting legislation. So you... 
I think it's kind of cool. Underground Railroad is now out. If you want to see it, it is now out on Amazon. I don't know if it's an Amazon Prime, but it likely is. The Underground Railroad series, an alternate history, and it's available for you to check out at Amazon.com. And that is a quick look at some entertainment information here on today's Y'all Show, as we like to put a smile to your face and tell you what all's going wrong across the Southeast and beyond. When we come back on the Y'all Show, stay tuned. It's our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans. He's got food on his mind, as he normally does here on this show, and he's going to kind of combine food with a mixture of the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, which was just held in Baltimore, Maryland, over the past weekend. He'll have all that information coming your way. Maybe even a little baseball food discussion from our barrister. All that on y'all. Talk with a southern exit. Everybody, time to get your food fix in because it's time here on the Y'all Show with John Rawl to welcome in the barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans. He comes on regularly here to give us his take on food and so much more. His take on taste, if you will. And the barrister back on with us here on the Y'all Show. Welcome in to the Y'all Show barbecue barrister. Happy to be here. I am uh, on location, you know, scouting out uh, <laughs> research for, um, well, everything. So uh, happy to be here today. All right. Well, we're glad to have Barbecue Barrister Matt Hermans with us today. So we got to do a little catch-up. We're going to talk some sports with you here, but we also have to do some catch-up on some other sports-related things that have to do with food and since we are still kind of on the back end of this darn virus thing, Matt Hermans, we have to do a little catch up on something called the Kentucky Derby. And I only came up with this idea after tuning in the Preakness this past weekend from Baltimore, Maryland. And it got me thinking that we really haven't done a fair job of talking about Kentucky Derby food. And let's start off with, from the Derby, something more barbecue-related Tell us about burgoo. That's one of the items served at the Kentucky Derby. Tell us what it is and why we need to be paying attention to burgoo. Burgoo. Uh, Yeah, that's a Kentucky and kind of an Indiana type uh, stew is what it is. Um, 
before I looked into it, I was always curious about what this 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 magic stew was, but it's it sounds kind of like gumbo or something, but it's not. Basically, a meat stew um, with different vegetables. There's all kinds of different varieties, but um, uh, meat and, and potatoes and, and different types of things. It's a type of meat stew that's that's popular in that area. Um, kind of unique to that particular region. So uh, if, if you're, it sounds funkier than it is. Um, it's just kind of like a meat stew with different things, different interpretations, different ingredients. Um, you know, there's different stews across the South. There's a Brunswick stew, right? There's certainly uh, down in Georgia. And there's a, um, you know, gumbo is eh, not a stew, but it's a soup uh, type of thing. But that looks like we have some burgoo on the, on the screen right there. It's like thick and meaty. Yeah, that sounds uh, a little tomato sauce there. That's uh, appetizing. Is that kind of getting you in the mood? It's kind of it's kind of not stew weather, but um, it looks good. What is the difference between burgoo's beef or whatever that is, beef versus cooking beef in a Texas-style barbecue? Well, a big difference. I think also, um, and I'm sure there are some Kentuckians uh, and so maybe some uh, Southern Indianans that could that could uh, elaborate, but I think there's sometimes it's a lamb that's cooked in, in a burgoo stew. But um, the difference would be that that uh, that particular meat there is cooked low and slow, simmered, braised, if you will, to get it tender and soft, uh, like you would any other kind of, of stew, as opposed to a low and slow indirect smoke of uh, a barbecue. So totally different kinds of preparations. But um, I think. I think occasionally the the sheep family is used in some of these burgoos as well, which makes it pretty interesting. All right. That's what we like to have our barbecue barrister on here for, to let us know about all the fun things like burgoo and more. Another item served up at the Derby, Matt Herman's, is something called Benedictine. Are you familiar with that? You have stumped me. I don't know what Benedictine is, but I'm anxious to hear about it. It is a combination of cream cheese, cucumber, and green food coloring on a sandwich. I'm like, it's a, a little finger food is what it looks like. Sounds refreshing. It sounds sounds cool and refreshing. It sounds great. Are you into finger food? Um, <laughs> I like to eat with my fingers. Um, <laughs> You can pick a rib up with your fingers. I'm definitely into that. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, uh, yeah, you know, I don't want to, I like a little pimento cheese sandwich. Um, you know, I've been to my fair share of uh, maybe dainty events. Uh, I can't, uh, I have no complaints over a little uh, little finger-sized pimento sandwich or maybe a little tomato sandwich, to be honest with you. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I, I'm not going to complain, depending on the event. Well, let's move from the Kentucky Derby held earlier in May to the Preakness, which was just held at Pimlico outside of Baltimore this past weekend. And this is kind of what got me on the subject of horse racing and food was they showed a a dish there that I just had no idea what it was. And I want to get your take. Pit beef sandwich. What is a pit beef sandwich? Ah, uh, pit beef. Yes. So pit beef is... um. I don't want to use the word barbecue, but it is a version of cooked meat that uh, is kind of famous uh, in the Baltimore area of, of Maryland is where you typically think of, of pit beef. There's some famous joints around there. So basically what pit beef is, it's a roast beef 
Um, it is a big chunk of, of what would become roast beef, some type of roast. Um, could be chuck, could be uh, round, um, could be something better than that. But essentially, it is beef that is cooked over a fire. So when I say I hesitate to call it barbecue, the reason I do is, of course, we've talked to on the on the show before. Barbecue is very specific. It is indirect. It is low heat. Um, you know, there's a wide variety of the heat. You cook at 225 or 285, but it's still low heat. Um, it's indirect. It's low and slow. You cook past the point of being done. You cook for tenderness as far instead of doneness, right? That is a pit beef there that I'm looking at on the screen, which is different. It is essentially a roast beef that is grilled over a fire and it's cooked to medium rare as opposed to cooked um, beyond that. So it's not barbecue, but it is cooked over charcoal um, in a giant pit, which is why they call it pit beef. And then, of course, it's shaved onto a sandwich like a roast beef. So um, essentially a roast beef that is roasted over charcoal um, kind of a unique thing, I think, for that particular region. But um, that's it. Matt Hermans, it looks pretty good. It it, it it sounds good. Why is this not more available outside of Baltimore? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, it seems like something that the – well, I will tell you this. This is my thought. Having, having looked at some of these famous pit beef joints, it, it is not something that is terribly – space efficient to do you got to have a big large coal burning fire and particularly nowadays in, in a in a um in a city type environment or in a municipality a lot of times they just don't let you build giant indoor charcoal fires anymore some of these are grandfathered in but it's not something you just decide to do you don't put it in an oven you don't put it in a roaster you got to have a big pit with charcoal almost like a almost like an old-fashioned you know, 1700-style barbecue pit inside a place, uh, I guess theoretically outside, but the ones that are famous in Baltimore inside. So it is very specific. It takes a lot of room, takes a lot of charcoal, a lot of work, and uh, I'm sure there's some regulations there as well. We're talking with the barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans here on the show covering everything Southern. And if you have something food-related you want to ask the barrister, feel free. Our number is 803 803- Eight one six eleven seventy, and email us. And if you aren't able to squeeze that in here before we are done today, we'll try to save your questions or comments for the barbecue barrister and ask him when he's back with us next week. Eight zero three eight one six eleven seventy. So we've kind of gone through some of the highlights that you might find at the Derby and more. That race now moves the third leg of the Triple Crown to New York. So we won't to focus too much on the Belmont Stakes the next leg of the triple crown type horse racing deal. But we do want to focus on what's big right now in terms of sports and food. And that's now with the beginning of summer, the boys of summer and play baseball. Matt Hermans, I know a lot of people wanted to go out and see baseball games in 2020. And, and unless you were one of the select few, you weren't able to do that. What is barbecue and baseball and the outdoors, the backyard mean for you here in 2021? Well, um, barbecue and baseball. I think what we typically think of when we think of baseball, um, I would put more in the category of grilling. So we would consider hot dogs, sausages, uh, maybe even hamburgers. These are types of things that you would typically get at the ballpark. However, 
the great thing about baseball is it is a long game. Uh, so uh, if you were of the mindset, you could theoretically get some uh, some barbecue, some ribs maybe, started uh, you know before the first pitch. By the time the game's over, you'd be eating them. Uh, ribs? Rib you can have ribs in four hours. Yeah, you could you do ribs in four hours. Absolutely. You could get 275, 280. You can do ribs in four hours. So you might want to start before the first pitch, but the point is you got a lot of time. It's not like a basketball game or something like that that comes and goes pretty quick. Baseball can drag on, particularly if you have extra innings. And then you have all the time in the world. And uh, college baseball games, it feels like they – Feels like they go into extra innings a lot, um, so I think it, I think it works great. I think grilling's great for baseball; it's traditional. But I think uh, you got time and you got room. There's no reason not to uh, not to do some barbecue. Matt Earman's a self-proclaimed baseball junkie. What is a good? We talked about finger food a moment ago. Is there a good finger food that you go to in baseball season? Yeah, so that's the cool. That's one of the cool things about baseball stadiums is a lot of them kind of have a little specialty, a um, little snack. I mean, whether uh, – it depends on what part of the country you're in, but there's all kinds of stuff. There's stuffed cheese stuff, sausage rolls. There's kolaches. There's – Whoa, 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 whoa. A, a up, 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 up. What is kolaches? <laughs> kolache um, is um, – kolache is a – that's kind of a Texas thing, but it is a uh, – well, I don't want to say. There may be kolaches across in other areas, particularly if there's – uh, folks of German or Czech descent, and I know there are some places like that across the South, but kolache is basically, well, it's a pig in a blanket, but it's not a, uh, the blanket is not a pancake, it's just kind of a roll. That's what a kolache is. So it's a piece of meat, like a sausage, wrapped in uh, a, a pastry roll, and then wrapped up and cooked that way. So that's all a kolache is. If I go to an Astros or if I go to an Astros or Rangers game, I'm going to see this kolache at both Houston and in Arlington. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm thinking more like minor league parks, you know, there, there are several across in Austin and, and, uh, and, uh, Frisco, which is north of Dallas. That's kind of a, a regional thing, which is pretty cool. And, but you've got all kinds of stuff. You got crazy nachos. I think the, so finger food, what immediately comes to mind are the uh, the Memphis Redbirds. You get barbecue nachos there at mm. the uh, Memphis Redbirds Stadium, which makes all the sense in the world uh, based on your location. So um, tell, so tell me, foods. tell me, barbecue barrister, a Memphis barbecue nachos has a Memphis style barbecue sauce poured on it. Yeah, it's just it's just pulled pork and and a and kind of a relatively generic barbecue sauce. I don't think they. Um, it's not something that's catered by a barbecue joint or anything like that, as far as I know. Not uh, they kind of do it themselves, so it's not the, you know, it's not the most authentic, highly ranked barbecue in Memphis, which is, uh, you know, that's pretty high level stuff. But it is, it is apropos for that stadium and certainly a finger food. But uh, yeah, it's pulled pork and of course the barbecue sauce and cheese goes together pretty well. So. Uh, Fingers. You just need a napkin for the barbecue. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Well, it's going to be a long summer. We hope to have you talk more sports and baseball and barbecue as we get through the what we think is going to be and hopefully will be a long, hot summer. A long, hot summer where fans can go in their backyard and cook or have the option to go to their favorite ballpark and catch their favorite baseball team. Matt Hermans, thank you for your barbecue report here this week. I love it. I love it. In fact, you got me uh, 
got me ready to fire up the smoke of this afternoon, John. So I uh, appreciate the motivation. Yeah, you're welcome. I'll send you the bill. Our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans. And we'll have more of the Y'all Show coming up after this. Stay tuned. Continuing on, Tuesday, y'all, John Rawl, and now part two of Hashtag Hullabaloo on this Tuesday show covering everything Southern. We go to C.S. Fuquay, C period, S period Fuquay, but on the good old Twitter sphere, it's at C.S.F.U.Q.U.A. F.U.Q.U.A. C.S. is a professional writer and musician specializing in music-related nonfiction and American Indian flute and world jazz music, that according to his profile. So he is out promoting himself on Twitter, and there's nothing, no no shame in that. CS, you can just do that anytime you want, which, by the way, I don't know if his CS and CS Fequay stands for the same CS that I have as part of my name, because I'm General John Rawls CSA, CS. As in certified Southern American is what I am. Yes, C.S. Fuquay has been writing most of his life, but to survive, he worked as a newspaper reporter, magazine editor, book editor, English tutor, substitute teacher. He worked as a janitor, a respiratory therapy technician, a gas station attendant with such things existed. Also worked as a sales clerk, a musician in a Mexican restaurant, a writing instructor, and much more. Uh, Fuquay, whose real name or first name, the C stands for Chris, by the way. Chris earned a bachelor's in communication and arts journalism from the University of West Florida in Pensacola, where he learned journalism before 24-7 cable TV and Internet news sites annihilated journalistic ethics, responsibility, and professionalism. After a few stints as a daily and weekly newspaper reporter, Chris Fuquay moved to Hawaii, Rough deal there, moving from Pensacola to Honolulu. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, and uh, he served as a magazine writer, photographer, both on staff and freelance until he moved back to the mainland in 1986. In the late 1980s, he turned to full-time freelance writing, specializing initially in nonfiction before transitioning primarily to fiction and poetry. C.S. Fuquay is who we're talking about, and his work span a broad spectrum, historical, musical, instructional, and social nonfiction. Dark fantasy, literary, science fiction, and poetry. He better be good. You can see his work at csfuqua.com, csfuqua.com. But, yes, he has a book or collection out called White Trash and Southern, and some describe it as gritty, humorous, tragic, and celebratory, from C.S. Fuquay, writing about his take on the South. Chris Fuquay, a.k.a. C.S. Fuquay. Well, let's take you from Pensacola to Acadiana 
And there we'll find a great contributor to the social media world, Acadiana's Thrifty Mom. Oh, yeah, Acadiana Thrifty is her handle on Twitter. And Acadiana's Thrifty Mom is a teacher, a coach, a blogger, a, a mom. Did I tell you that? Also a teacher, coach, blogger mom, and loves her kids and loves Louisiana. So you can find her website is acadianasthriftymom.com. And Acadiana's Thrifty Mom has a recipe up right now for all y'all. It's classic southern tomato pie. And click on it and get the instructions and more. It looks yummy, yummy, yummy from Acadiana's Thrifty Mom. And I had, I know it's not a tomato pie, but I had my first true summertime tomato last week i went to the best hamburger place in my town and i had a burger from there for the first time since coronavirus kicked off in 2020 and it was so good but what one of the main reasons it was so good they didn't just put one big old thick tomato on my burger they put two big old thick garden ripe tomatoes on my hamburger and if the burger weren't good, the tomatoes made it extra good. Oh, it was a great thing. And the sign, I know we have a hard time in parts of this region when it gets to be 105 degrees outside. But that is what it takes to get those vine-ripe tomatoes just so darn yummy and juicy. And and I had that big old tomato last week. And you could tell it was it was picked right, must have been five minutes before I walked in. Oh, it was so good. It was, oh, I'm going to have to go back there today now that I think about it. Acadiana's Thrifty Mom, she doesn't make burgers. She's making classic southern tomato pie. You can go to her website again and find out how to do this. Acadiana'sThriftyMom.com is the place to go to for that. Marilyn is on Twitter. And how about this Twitter handle for Marilyn? ProzacBaby00. A leftist. And she's a Southerner, by the way. Yeah, Marilyn, Prozac Baby Double Zero. I guess she's proud of that. That's her Twitter handle. And she puts out a picture of her, a screenshot, if you will. And it says it's her. She's got red hair, pretty red hair, driving her car. She looks like she's a youngster, maybe 18, 19 years old or so. And her picture with her caption says, Me in my conservative Alabama hometown Dollar General with pink hair, a mask, and my wallet with my vaccine sticker on it, hoping not to get hate crimes. Ooh, that was a low blow there coming from you, Marilyn. And if you've got pink hair, you might want to go back to your hairdresser because it looks red to me. If you're trying to stand out and be one of these people with pink hair, you might want to go check out what pink looks like these days because based on the picture you've got, at Prozac Baby Double Zero, it looks a little more red than pink, and and I like redhead ladies. I, I can't say the same about pinkhead, pink-headed ladies. I really haven't seen too many, but I know they're out there. I've seen. I don't know, and I, I'm not trying to bash. I I really am not. I'm, I try to be a nice guy here on this show, but I'm an old guy compared to some of these people. When did this whole fad fad i guess it would be called i would say phase but i would say fad who started and when is it gonna end this fad of coloring your hair pink and green 
and all these other weird colors. I'm sorry. I don't know why this started. I, I thought originally it was done by little kids that like for birthday parties or something like that. But now adults have these unusual hair colors. And if you got hair color like that, uh, you know, it's free country. Enjoy it. But I'm just not sure what led who came up with the idea hey let's turn our hair color pink and then a lot of people will start wanting to have pink hair i guess that singer pink might have been partly responsible for this but i've seen shades of green i don't know if i've seen orange i guess i've seen shades of blue and you know no we live in a world where you can do whatever you want here in this country it just it's a little bit unusual and again this this young lady here maryland's looking for the attention as she said in her tweet me and my conservative Alabama hometown Dollar General with pink hair, a mask, and my wallet with a vaccine sticker on it, hoping not to get hate crimed. I guess she thought somebody was going to say something to her because of the way that she looked and the vaccine sticker that she had there on her wallet. Uh, I, I, hopefully that didn't happen. But just like everything you'd think this fad of pink hair and green hair would end up dying out and something else would take its place maybe we'll move from turning your hair pink and green to maybe we could start finding a way to dye our skin i know people love tattoos what if you could dye your skin pink or green or some other color that that might be the new fad that pops up here pretty soon heck it probably already exists (laughs) i know some people turn their skin if they're a white person they turn their skin almost brown when they go out and lay in the sun all day long, and that can't be overly healthy to do that. But yes, Marilyn, who identifies herself as leftist and Southern, is out here this week on social media wanting not to get hate crime when she goes to her Alabama Dollar General with that beautiful red hair. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You got red hair there, not pink hair. But if it's pink, it's pretty, whatever it is. Again, if you if you like that kind of stuff, hey. Hey, enjoy. I just don't know. Do you have to do it at a beauty salon? Do they charge big money to dye your hair pink and green? Or is it something you can just do at your house and it turns out pretty good? I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. And I'm a guy who needs to not be giving hair advice. I am in desperate need of a barbershop visit. And I'm going to get one pretty soon. In fact, I'm probably going to get pretty radical with my next stop to the barbershop. But it won't be because I'm turning my hair color a different color it's because I'm going to uh, be getting good summertime hair chopping off, if you will. Tommy Yolano is on Twitter at TBG Finds. Tom, Tam, rather, it's not Tommy, it's Tammy. Tammy Yolano at TBG Finds. Tammy says that she's an elementary school teacher and loves to find hidden treasure for you. Ooh, what are we going to find here? Well, Tammy is all about finding hidden treasures. She puts out on Twitter. Excited to share the latest addition to my Etsy shop, Southern Living Cookbooks, vintage 1980 to 1990 hardcover. And you can go to her on Etsy and find these at TBG Finds is her Twitter account, Tammy U-L-I-A-N-O, Tammy Yolano. And she's got a collection of Southern Living Cookbooks up right now that you can purchase starting at $10 and up. Southern Living hardcover cookbooks from the 1980s available at her Etsy shop. Southern Living, as if they weren't making enough money back in the 70s and 80s with all their magazines, then they released this line of hardcover cookbooks, which sold really well. 
And to their credit, they have been a very successful publishing company, mostly out of Birmingham. And yes, people like my mother have been subscribing to Southern Living for a hundred years. And uh, they've got quite a little racket going. And, and, and back in the day, I don't know how often cookbooks are put out by Southern Living in today's world, but back in the 80s, for sure, people were eating those things up, if you know what I mean. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll take a break here. And when we come back here on the Y'all Show, we're going to tell you what's up at y'all.com, the homepage of the South. We got some darn good stuff there, some great video interviews as well. And I'll tell you what they are when the second hour of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent continues. into the show covering everything southern this is y'all good to have you back here on this tuesday wrapping up this second hour of y'all and if you go to our presenting website y'all.com that is the home page of the south did you know that well i'm telling you it is the south's home page and go there because this show right here is prominently featured at y'all.com in fact not only can you listen to the podcast of y'all at y'all.com, you can watch many of the interviews that we conduct. In fact, go there right now and you can catch up with some great interviews we've done lately with the author of the new Lewis Grizzard book, Peter Stoddard. Great video interview there. Also, our great interview we did with bluegrass and country singer Jimmy Melton, who has that awesome country version, bluegrass version of a song about the coronavirus. Jimmy Melton, Henderson, Tennessee's only. Uh, check that out at y'all.com. We also did an interview, video interview you can watch with Chris Hillman, the founding member of the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers, went on to form the Desert Rose Band and country music in the 1980s and had a couple of number ones with the Desert Rose Band. We did a great interview inter- with video interview with Chris Hillman. That's at y'all.com right now on the homepage. Plus, you can watch our home improvement show with the great sage of home improvement, John Allen. He and Jimmy Duke, courtesy of WTJS FM 93.1, host Tricks of the Trade. You can go there and watch this past week's episode where they talk about fastening devices, fuses, and what John called stupid rulers. And he's not talking about President Trump nor President Biden. He's talking about 
the kind of ruler that you use to measure stuff. <laughs> and there's some really wacky rulers out there. Did you know that? Well, go watch that at y'all.com. Tricks of the trade right now on the homepage of the South and learn all about that dilemma John Allen's enduring right now. Also, you can watch our interview with the Takapolo storyteller from this week. He was on the Y'all Show Monday. You can watch that interview. Then we've got our barbecue barrister. We just had him on in the previous segment. And you can watch our interview talking about burgoo, pit beef sandwiches, and more at y'all.com. And we're going to have him back on on a video interview later this week talking college baseball, our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans. That's a video interview. Then we have all kinds of good stuff that have no video, just great reads. And Matt Casadona has penned the article, Simple Steps, Simple Sep, <laughs> Simple Steps to Improve Your Physical Health. And that is up right now. Eat more fruits and vegetables is one of the tips. Take care of your teeth. Drink a whole lot of water. Engage in exercise and get a lot of sweet sleep, too. All this is part of the article, Simple Steps to Improve Your Physical Health. And that is up at y'all.com right now. Check it out. You'll learn so much about the South and so much about your body and how to get better and healthier and more, all by visiting y'all.com. This is Dr. John giving you a prescription to go visit the homepage of the South, y'all.com. Well, that will conclude this second hour of y'all. Hang on. We've got more where that came from. Hour three of today's y'all show is coming up. And in that third hour, we'll talk about rent debt in America and an article out from the National Equity Atlas in one southern state has more rent debt than any state in the land. And I'll tell you about that. Plus, Kobe Bennett's going to file a southern accent on the arts. All that ahead in the third hour of Talking About the South. Y'all stay with us. Friends and neighbors, we're back here for three hours of fun, and this is the culmination of two hours. This is the third hour. I am John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. Hope y'all doing good. Y'all.com is the website. Our number, 803-816-1170. Text that number if you've got something you need to just get off your chest. We want to hear from you. 803-816-1170. It's the Y'all Show. Talk about the South. Oh. We do that. We've been doing it. We're going to keep doing it. Sound good? Hey, this hour, we're going to talk in the next segment about debt. Not death, but D-E-B-T, debt. And a lot of you have it. I'm going to raise my hand and say, yeah, I got some debt. Well, we're going to talk about an article from National Equity Atlas, Rent, Rent Debt in America. And some of our southern states are not too good on that front. And I'll share some of that helpful information coming up. Also, we've got a Southern accent on arts, courtesy of Kobe Bennett coming your way this hour. And your phone calls and text 803-816-1170 if you want to get aboard. The Y'all Show will start off this hour talking a little Southern sports and more. And the New York Mets have a player now seeing a doctor today. Outfielder Kevin Pillar suffered multiple nasal fractures after being hit by Braves reliever, reliever Jacob Webb in the game Monday at Truist Park. In the seventh inning, he was hit by a 94-mile-per-hour fastball 
from the Atlanta reliever, and now he's suffered multiple nasal fractures. Kevin Pillar, the team announced that he would meet with a Atlanta facial specialist today and determine the next steps. He immediately fell to the ground when he got hit on Monday night with blood pouring from his nose. He was quickly helped to his feet with towels covering his face as he was escorted off the field. Braves players, including the pitcher, watched the frightening scene in shock. Members of Atlanta's ground crew covered the blood left in the batter's box area and Webb removed from the game. After the game, Pilar tweeted he was doing fine and noted his injury drove in what proved to be the winning run for the New York Mets. How about this tweet? Kevin Pilar, talk about a team player, tweeting at 10.27 p.m. Atlanta time. Thanks to everyone that has reached out. Scary moment, but I'm doing fine. Hashtag RBI. Hashtag game winner. And then two little thumbs up emojis. Pilar hitting 247 with two homers and seven RBIs in 27 games in his first year with New York the Metropolitans, Kevin Pillar. I need to find out where he's from because that was a pretty neat thing to see him out tweeting after getting hit pretty there, pretty hard there, and a pretty gruesome scene if you saw the the footage of him getting pumped uh, in the face there by that Atlanta pitch. Baseball can be extremely scary. I'll be honest with you. If you get to the major league level, it takes guts to stand in there in the batter's box and and get the kind of pitches those guys get. Pilar is a native of California. He's actually Jewish, one of the few Jewish baseball players out there. But there's a few. In fact, we've got guys who've been MVPs. The Brewers uh, guy is the one that got banned from baseball for a while. He's a great Jewish baseball player. Uh, Kevin Pilar, who grew up in West Hills, California, Mr. Tough Guy, standing in there and getting hit now and going to the doctor today he has been all over like most baseball players all over the league starting out with the blue jays he was there for about seven years and then he was with the giants in the 2019 season last year he split time between the red sox and rockies and now this year his first year with the new york mets he has won the willie mack award did that in 2019 he won the wilson defensive player of the year for center field when he was with the Blue Jays in 2015. Kevin Pilar, check him out, and we wish him the best. Hopefully he'll be back on a diamond real soon. Speaking of Monday night's action, the Mets, of course, as Pilar told you, they did come back and win after that seventh inning double and the hit by pitch and more. The Mets winning 3-1 over the Braves. The Giants won over the Cincinnati Reds 6-3 on Monday. One of the best teams in baseball, the Chicago Southsiders, the White Sox winning 16-4 over the worst team in Major League Baseball right now, the Minnesota Twins. The Nats lose to the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley 7-3 on Monday. Rangers and Yankees, the Rangers get the best of the pinstripers 5-2. The L.A. Angels win 7-4 over the Tribe of Cleveland. The Dodgers and Albert Pujols, he got an RBI in his debut for the Dodgers. They win over the Diamondbacks 3-1 on Monday. The Padres defeated the Rockies, blanked them 7-0, and the Seattle Mariners fell to the Detroit Tigers 4-1 out on the West Coast. As far as baseball's action on this Tuesday, you'll find several teams suiting up and playing. No early games, no doubleheaders today, but you do have the Giants and Reds continuing their series. Marlins will be taking on the Philadelphia Phillies from Citizens Bank Park in the stake 
uh, Philly steak cheese, whatever it's called, cheese steak. Yeah, that that would be more like it. And the cheese steak capital of the world, Marlins and Phillies. Rays and Orioles getting together at Oriole Park on this Tuesday. The Mets and Braves continue their series. Tucker Davidson on the mound for the Bravos at Truist Park. That's a 7:20 Atlanta time first pitch. Red Sox, Blue Jays from Dunedin, Florida, TD Ballpark is where you'll find that one tonight. Also, White Sox and Twins continue on. Nats and Cubs from Wrigley. Pirates and St. Louis Cardinals getting together at Bush Stadium. John Gann on the mound for the Redbirds. J.T. Brubaker on the mound for the Bucks. The New York Yankees Rangers continue their series. Jamison Talion on the mound for the Pinstripe Posse. And Mike Fulton, Fulton Newitz. I didn't realize he was with the Rangers now. I think he was with the Braves a few years ago. Mike Fulton Newitz is the pitcher for the Rangers in their game against the Yankees at Globe Life Field in Arlington. Brewers, Royals, and the Indians, Angels also. Astros, Christian Javier on the mound for the Astros in their game at Oakland Coliseum against the A's. Sean Manea on the mound for the Green and Gold Brigade. Diamondbacks, Dodgers, Rockies, Padres, and Tigers, Mariners. Those are your That's your lineup of Major League Baseball action here on this Tuesday. The Mar- Marshall Thundering Herd, they won their first national championship in football, in football European-style football. (laughs) They've won a few national championships at the FCS level when they were members of the Southern Conference back in the 1990s. I know they won a few. Jim Donnan led them to a national championship there before he took off for the Georgia Bulldogs. But the Marshall men's soccer team beat Indiana Monday night to win the Men's Soccer College Cup title. A dramatic win, winning in overtime in the 98th minute. Jamil Roberts scoring the game winner. And this national championship for men's soccer held in Cary, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. And then after the game winner, fans rushing the field. And Marshall becomes the first unseeded team to win a national title since Santa Clara won the national championship in men's soccer back in 2006. Jamil Roberts said afterwards, not bad for a little school from West Virginia with a bunch of internationals. Eh? Yeah. Indiana was making its 16th overall trip to the championship game. Golly, I didn't know they were a dynasty in men's soccer, but yeah, IU soccer. How about that? 16th trip. The Hoosiers were trying to get their ninth title for the first time since 2012. Ninth, nine-time national champions in only 10 years? Uh, that's a dynasty. That that's that, That's the very definition of dynasty. Uh, gosh, that's 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 a lot of championships. Uh, and I didn't have to go to school to to know that. Uh, the native of England, Roberts, who was drafted by Sporting Kansas City earlier this year, also scored the long goal on Marshall's only shot in the team's semifinal victory over North Carolina on Friday. That was a big win, beating North Carolina right there in Cary. But a big win for the Marshall Thundering Herd, your national champions of men's soccer. They represent Conference USA. Conference USA, which has a couple of SEC teams with member institutions in that men's soccer conference, the Kentucky Wildcats and the South Carolina Gamecocks both have soccer programs on the men's side that play in CUSA. But way to go, Marshall Thundering Herd winning the Soccer National Championship. Some football news, and this is the American football variety we'll tell you about. 
The Indiana Hoosiers are going to be bringing in a guy from Auburn, Jaron Handy. He's a defensive lineman, and he's now joined Tom Allen's program in Bloomington. And here's a guy who played 14 games for the War Eagle Plainsman over the last two seasons. Tom Allen bringing him in, Jaron Handy, as well as former USC Trojan running back Stephen Carr tweeting that they'll be joining Indiana in the 2021 season. And Handy recorded 10 tackles and one sack in his play for the Auburn Tigers in 2020. His cousin is Indiana receiver Trey Feifogel. So there you have a connection to the IU program and Tom Allen. Now last year, I watched Indiana's first game of the year. It was a game in Bloomington against Penn State. I think it went to double overtime maybe. And they got that dramatic victory over the Nittany Lions. A great game, a, a fantastic close game. And because of that one win to help get their season off on the right foot, you saw Indiana become a darling program in 2020. I know they didn't get a chance to play for the Big Ten Championship, but they did really, really well and ended up going to the Outback Bowl where they fell to the Mississippi Land Sharks and Lane Kiffin. But And they fell in the previous year in the Gator Bowl to the Tennessee Volunteers. But Tom Allen has done a remarkable job, a guy who's had experience coaching in the South. He at one time was coaching the Lambeth Eagles in Jackson, Tennessee, before that program got shut down. And that college got shut down, to be honest with you, in Madison County, Tennessee. But Lambeth, of course, before Tom was there, a guy named Hugh Freeze was coaching Lambeth in Jackson. And now Tom Allen moving from that now defunct school to being the head coach at Indiana in the Big Ten and doing a great job. Really fun to see the Indiana Hoosiers, even though they are what we call a northern team, see them in 2020 and looking forward to what they can do. And now beefing up the program with transfers in from USC and Auburn's Jaron Handy moving on to the Big Ten out of the SEC world of horse racing. Bob Baffert suspended from entering Medina Spirit and other horses at Belmont Park. They made this decision on Monday pending an investigation into Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit's failed post-race drug test. Oddly enough, this racehorse was permitted to race at the Preakness last weekend, didn't win, got pretty close, but now in the third leg of the Triple Crown, now being told that they will not be able to enter the Belmont sweepstakes or whatever it's called, Belmont stakes, not sweepstakes. Ed McMahon's not going to be able to come help out here. Baffert temporarily will not be allowed to stable any horses at Belmont Park, Aqueduct Racetrack, or Saratoga Race Course, or run in any of his horses at New York Racing Association's tracks. Now the ban includes races at Belmont Park, where the Belmont stakes are happening on June Fifth, Mr. Bob Baffert in a lot of trouble. New York Race, what is it called? The New York Race Association's officials say they took into account Bob Baffert's previous penalties in Kentucky, California, and Arkansas, along with the current situation with Medina Spirit, and expect to make a final determination about the length and terms of the suspension based on information revealed by Kentucky's ongoing investigation. As we've said previously, horse racing doesn't have some kind of super structure commissioner, if you will, who makes things a little bit equal. It is a dog-eat-dog and or horse-eat-horse world, if you will, in racing horses. 
And uh, there's a lot of control left up to the states. Every state's got different rules and regulations. The racetracks have their own set of rules. And it's pretty confusing. And it's really confusing when you have horses come in like we saw last week at the Preakness and the horse that ended up winning that had not raced at the Kentucky Derby. It was a fresh race horse. And and so Madonna Spirit, which finished third at Preakness last week, and off, many people considered it a favorite concert tour, another Baffert horse finished ninth at the Preakness. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit refreshing to see that Madonna, just because of the controversy, Imagine what the controversy would be if it had won Preakness and now you had the third leg of the Triple Crown and a chance to be a Triple Crown winner. Not going to happen. But Bob Beffert now being suspended from entering his horse and others, not just this one, but others at Belmont Park as it gets ready to host the Belmont Stakes in just a couple of days. NBA, they're going to have what's called the first play-in going on. And the Charlotte Hornets... And the Indiana Pacers will be playing the first game today. They'll have that at Bankers Live Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, televised on TNT. It tips off at 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central, between Michael Jordan's Charlotte Hornets and the Pacers in this play-in game. It's the 9-10 play-in game. What does that mean? It means if you lose this one, you're done. Your season's over with. If you win this one you have a chance to play another game, and that other game will be against the loser of the other game being played today. Are y'all keeping notes of all this? The other game is your 7-8 pairing from the Eastern Conference, the Washington Wizards at TD Garden to take on the Boston Celtics. And the winner of that game will be the seventh seed in the NBA playoffs. The loser gets to play the winner of the Hornets-Pacers and then whoever wins that next game ends up being the eighth seed in the playoffs and will take on the number one seed. little confusing. What it means is more basketball, more options for people to bet. Speaking of betting, if you're into this thing, and I'm really not, but I'll just tell you the line, the current line, Pacers are minus three for the game against the Hornets, and then the Celtics, of course, expected to win their game against the Wizards on this Tuesday matchup from the Garden. It's not it's not Boston Garden. As I said, it's called TD Garden now. But, yeah, according to Caesars, from TD Garden in Boston, the Celtics currently are minus two in their contest against the Wizards. Really shocking how so many times these bet people know, I'll call them betters of the world, they know so much about how these things are going to play out. And, and that – is what's going on there. Hockey is also being played right now, and the NHL playoffs continue. As far as the South goes, the Nashville Predators and the Carolina Hurricanes played their first in the series on Monday, and the Storm from Raleigh won that one, so they take a 1-0 series lead against the Nashville Predators. The Predators and Hurricanes getting together on the ice on this Tuesday from PNC Arena. That will be an 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central First drop of the puck on CNBC. Other games in the NHL playoffs taking place include the Capitals Bruins and you have the Jets Oilers as well as the Blues and Avalanche and the Stanley Cup, I guess they call it the Stanley Cup playoffs, even though it's 
first-round stuff going on right now. But if you're a Preds fan, they need to get the catfish ready and, and get a victory coming to Nashville because they're behind the eight ball after losing to the Carolina Hurricanes in this first game played in their series of playoff action. When we come back on y'all, we're going to talk about debt. Y'all got any debt out there? You probably do. When we come back, we're going to tell you what National Equity Atlas has released about rent debt in America. And sadly, Alabama, you're number one at this, and it's not a good thing to be number one. Alabama, good at football, not good at rent debt. We'll have info on that. Plus, we have a Southern accent on the arts from Kobe Bennett coming up in just a few. This is y'all. Stay with us. pretty appropriate song here for this y'all show i'll tell you what you might want to go get you a little bit of something more powerful than a glass of water for this next segment for some of you this is a pretty depressing segment that i'm going to talk about and playing this song here does not help on that all right again get you something to help you through the next few minutes here on the y'all show is we're going to try to educate you here on debt in alabama i'm sorry you are the worst of the worst more than one in five alabama renters are behind on their debt the largest percentage of any state in the country according to new data that's been put out by the National Equity Atlas, a partnership between Policy Link and the Equity Research Institute at the University of Southern California. 22% of Alabama renters have housing debt as of the end of March compared to 14% of the country. That's right. Okay, 22% of Alabama renters have housing debt compared to 14% the rest of the country. Besides leading the nation in share of delinquent renters, Alabamians in that category were also disproportionately people of color, 71%, according to the research, compared to the rest of the country at 63%. More than 9 in 10 Alabamians behind on rent were classified as being low income, 
which means making less than $50,000, and that compares to 78% nationwide. The partnership with a statement saying, Forgiving rent debt is also essential to an equitable and people-centered recovery, one in which those hardest hit by the pandemic can fully participate and thrive. Now, I've gone to this partnership website to learn more about it, the National Equity Atlas its what it's called. And it is produced in partnership with something called the Right to the City Alliance, equipping policymakers and advocates with data on the extent and nature of rent debt in their communities to inform policies to eliminate debt and prevent the specter of mass eviction. Pretty detailed stuff, if you will, looking at what they've come out with from the National Equity Atlas. You can go to their website. It is nationalequityatlas.org to learn more about how this is out there. But again, according to this agency and this research from the agency, Alabama leads the country in the percentage of renters behind on rent. And have you ever been behind on your rent? Remember, in the height of the pandemic last year, there was talk, and I don't really know what ended up being worked out, but there was talk that you couldn't evict people if they weren't paying their bills. I don't know if that was true or or what happened there, but we started seeing stimulus checks come out pretty sizable. I think it was, was it 600 and then 1,200 and then another, was it, I should know, I just filed my taxes the other day, I think. Technically, in the 2020 year, for those not making lots of money, what I mean by that is, what is it, uh, was it $200,000 a year or less? It was something like you got a $1,200 check and a $600 check. So $1,800 is what most Americans got in 2020. And then you got another stimulus check here in 2021 after Biden took office. I did notice that Biden didn't go out of his way like Trump did to send a letter with his signature on it, which was a waste of money. Let's be honest. He didn't have to do that. But we know why he did it. He wanted to remind people that he got them free money. And uh, But some of us out there, and I'm going to just say all of us, it wasn't free. We've all had to suffer. Our country's had to suffer. The world's had to suffer. And, and the sim- stimulus was a way to lessen the pain, if you will, but uh, – Rough times in so many ways the last 14 months. But, yeah, rent debt in America. And this organization, the National Equity Atlas, aims to inform the national policy debate as well as local and state policymaking and advocacy. The National Equity Atlas and the Right to the City Alliance launching a new rent debt dashboard, which has near real-time data on the number and characteristics of renters behind on rent for the U.S. 45 states, 15 metro areas. The dashboard provides estimates of the amount of back rent owed for these geographies, as well as estimates for the number of households with debt and the amount owed for all counties in the 45 U.S. states. I want to try to click on this thing and see how accurate it is. I don't know if I paid my rent here this month yet. Let me see if it shows my name. Uh, yeah, I, here I am. No, I'm, I'm kidding. So right now, according to the National Equity Atlas, 116,000 households are behind on rent. 
and that ends up being $259 million of estimated total rent debt as of this very moment. That's an estimated rent debt of $2,200 per household. And according to their research from the National Equity Atlas, the amount of people of color who were behind on rent, 71%. The amount of people that are $50,000 or less, what's considered to be low income, that's 91% of those who are behind the eight ball on their rent. 57% of the people currently behind on rent are unemployed, and 62% are on lost employment income. I guess that would be unemployment. So, yeah, that gives you a, an idea of that now. It will let you know about states. So let's go to let's just, uh, checking how I, I'm, I'm te- testing this thing to see just how accurate this thing. You know what I just told you is true, but it's not true for the entire country. That was just Alabama. In Alabama alone right now, 116,000 people are behind on rent. Households, not people, households behind on rent, 116,000 people with a $259 million rent debt figure of just Alabama. What about Arkansas? Arkansas, Alabama had 116,000 people. Arkansas currently, if this thing will work like it's supposed to, 50,000 people in the natural state with an estimated rent debt per household in Arkansas of $2,100 currently. Moving on to Florida. Florida, pretty big state. It has 513,000 people behind on their rent as of this May 18th. And that's well past the normal, what, five days given by most landlords of when you need to get your rent in on time. Georgia, where do we stand in the state of Georgia as far as people behind on their rent? Currently, Georgia is at, survey says... Come on, National Equity Atlas, 211000 That's not too bad for a rather large state of Georgia, $2,600, the estimated rent debt per household in the Peach State right now. How about the state of Kentucky? Kentucky has, right now, households behind on rent, 44000 2200 is the amount on average in Kentucky people are behind on their rent debt. Louisiana. Pelican State checking in at 99,000 people, households, not people, households behind on rent. People are way behind. Yeah, as I said, it's, this is a big problem across the South. Missouri, show me, Missouri, show me 81,000 households behind on rent, according to the National Equity Atlas. Show me, not show me, that's going to be saved for the state of Missouri. They don't have Mississippi, for some reason, listed here in their info. I would be real curious to know what that state would be, but we'll have to move on to North Carolina. North Carolina, people behind on rent, 162000 Estimated rent debt per household in the Old North State, 2500 is that number. How about Oklahoma? Oklahoma, households behind on rent right now, 51000 with 2400 the estimated rent debt per household in Oklahoma. By the way, in Oklahoma, the people of color, 51%, are behind on debt. So it's about 50-50 there in the Sooner State. As far as South Carolina goes, 
in the Palmetto State. 74,000 people or 74,000 is the number of households behind on rent as of this 18th day of May. And in South Carolina, only 44% of people of color are behind on rent. So the majority of people behind on rent in South Carolina are the majority, which I assume would be Caucasian. In Tennessee right now, the volunteer state has 65,000 households behind on rent. That is not a very high number compared to some of these other states for such a large state that Tennessee is. 37% is the number of people of color behind on rent. So majority there in Tennessee is a white majority, and that is the majority of people behind on rent. Low income is 87% of the people in Tennessee behind on rent right now. If you are behind in Tennessee, here is your warning. Pay up. Pay up. How about the Lone Star State? Texas has 339,000, 339,000, 339,000, yeah. Households behind on rent right now, 3,000 the estimated rent debt per household. I guess it's more expensive to rent in Texas than some of these other States And then Virginia, Virginia, the Commonwealth, they're checking in with 123,000 households behind on rent right now. Estimated rent debt per household. Golly, Virginia, you better have a lot of money if you're going to be living in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The Old Dominion State, 3,800 is the estimated rent debt per household. I don't know if it's because the rent's that high or so many people have just gotten months and months and months behind and they're just not catching up. But, yeah. It is uh, pretty getting pretty expensive there. As far as the county map, they have this listed here on the site for National Equity Atlas. You can check out your individual counties. Just looking, for example, at Alabama, they've got two of the largest counties in the state listed here for estimated rent debt per household per county. And as expected, the big counties that are behind, actually, believe it or not, if you look at the Birmingham area, Jefferson County, which is the city limits of Birmingham, it's 2470 behind, but just to the south, Shelby County, which is a, a county known for the suburbs, a lot of people live in Shelby County, 3100 is the amount of rent debt per household in that county. So it, it's actually higher there, just like over in the, uh, or down, if you're in Alabama, the lower, lower Alabama, LA, you got Mobile County at 2300 the rent debt per household there, but across the bay, across Mobile Bay, in Baldwin County, it's over 3000 So more people owe more money in the non-big city towns, the Fairhopes and the Orange Beaches and the Gulf Shores of Alabama, not necessarily the city of Mobile. Pretty amazing stuff, great info. I assume it's accurate as rent debt in America. This is a way to kind of track this at nationalequityatlas.org if you want to go on here and play around with the numbers and see what you can come up with. But again, as this research shows, Alabama leads the country in the percentage of renters behind on rent, according to this data out, as 22% of Alabama renters have housing debt at the end of March compared to 14% for the rest of the country. And if we go back here and look at the dashboard view from this National Equity Atlas, you can choose the entire U.S. So if I do that, right now in this country, if you factor in the South and the rest of the states that are participating in this Equity Atlas, we are at 
5.7 million households behind on rent as of this 18th day of May, with an average rent debt per household of $3,400. So if you're a renter, you dread that first of the month when you got to pull out the check and write it, but you know it's coming. There aren't too many places in the world that let you live absolutely free. And so you got to uh, you got to work, you got to find money to pay for the rent if you don't own a home and if you own a home, well you got to pay your mortgage. So it's just one of those things. You got to pay your taxes, you got to file your taxes. Hopefully most of y'all did that on Monday, the last day to file taxes on time at least. And you got to you got to eat, so you got to get food too. So yeah, there when you live in the south, you're going to have some things you just got to pay for. And Putting a roof overhead is one of them. Whether you're paying for your own house or you're renting, there's an expense involved. And so this information, courtesy of the National Equity Atlas, helps us understand a little bit more about getting behind and and not getting too far behind. Alabama, it looks like, is getting a little too far behind. Of course, Mississippi's numbers aren't even in there. So I'm going to say Mississippi might even have worse numbers than, than Alabama. We'll have to find out. I wonder why they're not included. Don't know. Uh, We will come back from this break and have a Southern accent. Kobe is standing by with an arts report here. We'll have that on the Y'all Show on this Tuesday edition. Hang on. More coming. accent. Here's what's entertaining the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Wanting to get up close and personal with animals, from dinosaurs to lions to sasquatches with none of the danger involved? Check out the Zoo Groovy Art Yard in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Georgia. According to their Facebook page, the Zoo Groovy Art Yard is a tongue-in-cheek zoo where people can buy the animals. The zoo's animals are sculptures crafted from various media, including metal, plastic, and wood. Just like many real zoos, you can go up and read signposts with info about the stationary wildlife, usually with some cartoony details. Some of the art they have to offer include the zoo animals, yard art, and silhouettes. The zoo is usually open from Monday to Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. They're located at 9586 Old Highway 76 in Morgantown, Georgia. Entertainment headlines and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe Bennett with that great report. Sounds like a good place there in the Peach State to check out. What also you need to check out is this final segment of the Y'all Show. It's coming your way. We've got a quick look at some headlines and some fun stuff to share with you as we wrap up this Tuesday, y'all, talking about Dixie. Oh 
Yeah. All right, get them boots ready to go boot scooting. We're going to wrap up today's y'all show, and you can go boot scoot your little heart out if you want to when we get done, but you're going to have to wait till we get done. As we wrap up this third hour in this Tuesday edition of Y'all with your host, John Rawl, let's take a quick look at some of our news headlines here across the Southland. And the big story coming out Monday was the U.S. Supreme Court is going to take up from Mississippi a major abortion rights challenge. And this argument is expected to start happening in the fall in Washington, D.C. at the U.S. Supreme Court. And then the decision likely going to come right before the midterm elections of 2022. Yes, Mississippi, which is asking to be allowed to enforce an abortion ban after 15 weeks of pregnancy, is not asking the court to overrule Roe v. Wade from 1973, which confirms a woman's right to an abortion, or a decision 19 years later that reaffirmed it. But it is taking up the case of a Mississippi ruling or Mississippi decision And now you're seeing some of the people on the left side of the aisle pretty upset about it. Nancy Northup is president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights. And she said in a call with reporters that the court cannot uphold this law without overturning the principal protections of Roe versus Wade. Yes, more than 90% of abortions take place in the first 13 weeks of a woman's pregnancy, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the court stepping right into the abortion issue, if you will, here in 2021. And that's going to likely ignite a large amount of attention, especially from the liberals of the world, because they really cherish a woman's right for an abortion. And this is going to be a case now we know the way it's set up it looks it's it's supposed to be six conservative three liberal supreme court justices but we know that that number <laughs> doesn't mean a whole lot and you see oftentimes supreme court justices making rulings on things you never would thought they would be in support of or vote for or go with side with if you will and and just because they're on the supreme court and they are so-called picked by republican or Democratic, depending on which way they think, is no guarantee. Supreme Court taking up a major abortion rights challenge later this year. National Weather Service confirming a couple of touchdowns of tornadoes in the Dallas area on Sunday had one with an EF1 maximum wind speeds of 90 miles per hour around Dallas, two, I think, in the Dallas County area alone from Sunday. No injuries, thankfully, to report. Also, Stories out, Governor Edwin Edwards of Louisiana issuing a state of emergency due to flooding and a severe weather threat in the Pelican State. Numerous flash flood warnings, tornado warnings already issued for the state over the next couple of days. But Edwin Edwards there, or Edwin Edwards, that's the old governor, John Bell Edwards, what am I thinking, going back to the past here, if you will, putting out this statement as the authorities of Louisiana keeping an eye on potential flooding. I noticed weather radar here today a large stretch of storms from New Orleans all the way to Lexington, Kentucky, frankly, covering or cutting us south into two different parts, working its way eastward, and Louisiana issuing this state of emergency due to flooding and severe weather threats in the Pelican State. Sorry, John Bell Edwards. I'll get it right next time. Also, letting you know about stuff going on, speaking of politics, how about this gas station owner in Nashville weighing in to the presidential politics of today 
and he maybe helps answer the question of where's Hunter as this gas station owner trolls Hunter Biden saying hope gas prices don't get too high and that would be T-O-O-O. This guy, Lewis Country Store in the Nashville area, has a video screen at his gas station and he puts up these messages that are rather conservative and one of the pictures he's got is of a gas gauge and he's playing off the fact that the gas stations of Nashville had a gas shortage because of the Colonial Pipeline problem from last week. And so he put up an image of a gas gauge with E on the left and a full tank of gas on the right. But the E of empty E is the same E that's in the Biden-Harris campaign logo. Pretty creative, if you will, that he would do this. But in Nashville, Davidson County, he's doing this. And this is a blue county. This is a a county with a lot of Democratic voters, and so I I don't know if he cares or what's going on that he might be turning off people. But, yes, this Nashville gas station uh, getting into the thick of things. In fact, at a gas pump there, he's got signs about communism and socialism and everything else going on there. Pretty bold, almost as bold On the other side, in Columbia, South Carolina, they've got an Obama gas station, or at least they've had one there. And so now if you go to Nashville, you can go to this uh, rather conservative gas station, Lewis Country Store. And I don't know where it's located. I wish I could give you the address if you want to go by and check it out. But the picture of Hunter has him in the famous video of him laying in a bed, uh, getting uh, in a festive mood, if you will, and talking about gas prices getting high. Go check it out if you want in Nashville, Lewis Country Stores, and get a fill up there if you'd like. How about a blast from the past? Speaking of presidential politics, two pieces of the White House, slabs of the White House that are more than 200 years old, are in Kansas City, Missouri. That's right. They're abandoned at a tree outside a high school, an abandoned high school, and the Brookside neighborhood of Kansas City are two pieces of of the White House, and an unmarked pillar of gray aging stonework is found at this abandoned high school. Southwest High School opened nearly 100 years ago, closed in 2016, but they still have these pieces of the White House there. And I think Harry Truman, Missouri's own, had something to do with getting these pieces of the White House moved to this abandoned high school in the Kansas City area. Check it out, if you will. Pretty unusual story to report on here on today's Y'all Show. And also want to let you know that at Athens, Georgia, I've been to this place. It's awesome. But it looks like the Varsity Athens, not the one in Atlanta, the famous hamburger joint where they say, what do you have? What do you have? It looks like it might be torn down right off the UGA campus. What in the world? This is a developing story. I'll have to find out more details but yeah that is sad news to report if true that the varsity athens not atlanta athens could end up being uh not what do you have anymore if that uh, story ends up being true and lastly from kentucky we go this guy obviously was not thinking too much a man clocked in kentucky driving a mustang 143 miles per hour in a 70 miles per hour zone and how did he get stopped well Poor old Stephen Alford, the 47-year-old who was driving 143 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone, 
that Nelson County Sheriff's Office was able to get him after he ran out of gas there on the Bluegrass Parkway. What an idiot. This is y'all. Thank you for tuning us in. We'll be back here Wednesday with more Talk About the South. Thank you for being a part of the show.